The reading is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 13. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are going to crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them, may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commandments that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and, Joseph, and, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget that the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Thank you so much, Ellis. Shall we just pray for a moment? Father, we thank you that you are here. You're here by your spirit, and you have a message for each one of us. Help us to be open to that now, just where we might feel a bit restless or distracted, or there's other things in our minds. Lord, would you just help us to tune in, help us to receive all that you have for us this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, today we're continuing our series on love. The most important word in the Christian faith is the word love. If you had to summarize what this life is all about, I think that would be a great word to choose. And last week we looked at uh, God's love for us as the foundation of everything. God's uh, relentless, pursuing, unconditional, grace-filled love for us as the basis for our loving others. And so that in the coming weeks, we're kind of doing the up, in, and out thing. So we're thinking about our love for God, we're thinking about our love for one another in, and then we're thinking about our love for the world. And as we move in love, that's how we see the world changed. Amen? Love is the most uh, powerful thing in the world, and it's the thing that brings change to our hearts and lives and makes us come fully alive, and it's the thing that's going to bring change and transformation to the world. It's what's going to bring, ultimately, God's kingdom on earth, heaven on earth. And today, we're thinking about the up one. We're thinking about our love for God. Essentially, we're thinking about worship. And I want to just begin with this little question. I wonder if you can think of a time when you were so on fire for God, 
If you've got a time in your mind, maybe it was when you first became a Christian. If you are a Christian, we don't assume that you are. We want to be a space where everyone can belong before they can believe, ask questions. But if you're a Christian, was it uh, a time when you first became a Christian, you gave your life to the Lord? Maybe you think of a time in your youth. Maybe you think of being at a Christian festival or a mission trip or something. Uh, One time that uh, comes to mind for me was my second year of university. And uh, I just had a number of encounters with the Holy Spirit, with God's uh, love for me uh, in a local church, which I hadn't really uh, encountered before. And it was that year my faith really came alive. It was kind of like dormant before. And uh, I was suddenly in a group of uh, other students who were passionate about God, and that kind of rubbed off on me. And I was learning so much about my faith, about Jesus and what he'd done for me, and uh, my heart was being wooed. And I just remember these beautiful moments of kind of wasting time in God's presence, of just loving to worship, whether that would be uh, with others or just even on my university uh, bedroom floor, uh, playing the guitar really badly. I knew like four chords, so I'd play them over and over again, uh, probably winding up my housemates. But I just loved that. I just loved being in that place of the presence of God and worshiping him. I was just so in love with Jesus. And it kind of just sprung out for me. There was this passion that was coming out from my life. It's a beautiful place to be. And I wonder if you can think of a time like that for you. And you know, sometimes we can kind of downplay these experiences uh, we can kind of uh, say, oh, it's just, just the enthusiasm of youth, or that's kind of fine for like a short period of time, but it can't really be expected to be part of our day-to-day experience. And I want to suggest today that actually living with a, an abundant passion for God, being all in in worshiping Jesus, is actually a really important thing. Being hot for God is actually really important. We see this all over the Bible. Jesus, uh, when he was talking about the greatest commandment, a religious leader comes up to Jesus and says, what is the greatest commandment? What's the most important thing, if you like, in faith? And what does Jesus say? He quotes from the Shema, that reading from Deuteronomy 6, we just had read to us, to love God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. Jesus also adds mind. And... um, The point isn't to get kind of caught up with different parts of the anatomy. The point Jesus is saying is that he wants us to be all in. He wants every part of our lives to be aligned in a passion for God, to be all in for him. That word love is the word agape, to agape God. So it's like the highest form of love, the the divine love, sacrificial love, to love God with our everything. That's what Jesus says is the most important thing. And then Jesus in uh, another part of Scripture in Revelation 3. So John has this uh, vision of heaven and Jesus speaks to John and gives these messages for some of the churches that John's connected with. And um, Jesus basically highlights it's really important to be hot. It's really important to be hot for him. In Revelation 3, uh, verses 15 and 16, John gets a prophetic message for the church in Laodicea. And this is what Jesus says, I know your deeds, and they're neither uh, hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other, but because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. 
Jesus is kind of rude there, isn't he? Ouch, what's going on? But Jesus is essentially, it's kind of hyperbolic language, but Jesus is saying it's really important that you're, you're, you're hot for me. And even if you're cold for me, at least there's some passion in that. If you're kind of resistant to me, then at least I can kind of engage you in some way. But the most dangerous place to be is the kind of place of like, meh, like take it or leave it, kind of in, kind of out. Jesus warns us uh, about that. Elsewhere in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul talks about this word zeal. Romans 12, 11, Paul says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And then again, perhaps one of Jesus' most provocative statements uh, comes in uh, Luke 14, when Jesus says this about being a disciple. If anyone comes to me but does not hate father or mother or wife or child or brother or sister, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. What is Jesus saying there? Of course he's not saying hate your family. Of course he's not saying that. He's making a point about intensity. And he's saying in comparison, it's to be like hating because you're, you're all in. Your passion for me for the, for the Father, for the things of the kingdom is so hot. So it's kind of important to, to live with this passion for God, to be all in for him. But the problem is, of course, most of the time I don't feel like that. I, I don't know about you, but I just, I don't feel like that. My heart isn't all in. I kind of feel sometimes I'm half in or maybe a quarter in, you know. Uh, lukewarm is a good description of my heart. Very often, I wonder if it might be the same for you. Often, I'd rather spend time watching TV than spend time with God. And we'll all be on a journey with this, and God is very kind. But what I want to suggest this morning is that getting to that place of being on fire for God, having a passion for God, is where we want to be. It's kind of a good place to be. And it's the kind of place that God could really use us, and it's the kind of place that we flourish as human beings. So the natural question to ask is, how do we get there? How can we grow in our love for God? And we're doing that in a kind of gracious way, not in a kind of like forced way. How do we how do we do that? And I think this little passage in uh, Deuteronomy 6 has some, some helpful things to say. And I'm going to just highlight four little things for us this morning. The first thing that we can do, we see in this passage, is remember. Remember God's love for us. That is the foundation of it all. It's, it's like a cycle. We only love because he first loved us. And when we know God's love for us, our hearts are warmed and wooed into love for him. The context of this passage is that uh, Moses is speaking to God's people. He's speaking to Israel. They're on the, uh, the border of Canaan. They're at the River Jordan. They're about to enter Canaan. And uh, he gives them these instructions. He's just given them the, the Ten Commandments or reminded them of the Ten Commandments. And he gives them some wisdom and guidance for when they go into the land of Canaan. And in verse 12, Moses says this, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. There was a, a real danger that as God's people went into this land, that they would forget this was a land full of pagan gods. This was a land that was characterized by quite a materialistic culture. 
uh, in that sense, not massively dissimilar to our culture today. Uh, and the danger is that Israel will get caught up in this foreign culture, and they might forget, they might forget Yahweh, the God who was with them, the God who had brought them through the wilderness, who brought them through the Red Sea, who had saved them, the God who was their God, who loved them, who called them into this covenant relationship. There was a real danger that they might forget. And so Moses says, do not forget, but remember. Verse 6, he says this, These commandments that I've given you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames, for goodness sake, on your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers. Do not forget. It couldn't be any clearer. Because the danger, of course, is the drift, the big drift of our our longings, our desires, our hearts, our affections. Because the the thing is, the danger is never that we'll stop loving and we'll stop worshipping. The danger is always that we'll start loving and worshipping the other the wrong things. We were made to be lovers. We were made in the image of a God who is a lover. We are just naturally lovers as human beings. The question is, what is it that we're going to give our hearts ultimately to? I said um, a moment ago that Moses had just reminded God's people of the Ten Commandments. And when we think about these commandments, so Moses is saying here, don't forget these commandments, don't forget this law. And we can kind of think of commandments and law as something quite cold. How does that like remind us of God's love? What is that about? But the commandments uh, very often were, as they lived them out, they were reminded of their story. So take the command to keep the Sabbath. What was that about? The Sabbath reminded them of their story and the way that the Lord brought them into freedom. Verse 12 of chapter 5, observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Verse 15, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And so the idea was that as they would practice the Sabbath in this foreign land, they would be reminded of what God had done for them. It was like something tangible, it was physical that they could do that could remind them of God's great love for them. And the same is true for us We can surround ourselves with the story of God's love. We can do things to remind ourselves and to make sure that the story we're living under is the story of God's love for us. The way that we can do that is coming to church. We break bread and we remember the cross. We sing songs that describe God's character of what he's done, of who he is. We listen to to sermons and people drone on about who God is. We, we can, in our quiet times, take time to pray and encounter God. We can, in our quiet times, open up the Scriptures. We can help ourselves to remember and one another to remember who God is. And as we do that, our hearts are lifted up. Oh, yeah, if God loved me in this way, if we have this encounter with Him, then naturally our hearts are going to go towards God. Because in our society, we might not have Canaanite pagan gods, but we do have other things that are vying for our hearts, counterfeit gods all the same, that hold a massive sway on our lives if we let them. 
And these are often kind of more subtle, perhaps, good things that have become or can become ultimate things, created things intended to bless that can take the place of the Creator. And basically, a counterfeit God, uh, Tim Keller, a pastor who's just uh, passed away in New York City, but wrote a brilliant book called Counterfeit Gods. And he describes a counterfeit God as anything that you love more than God, anything that you look to for what we should look to God for, things like meaning and significance and security and ultimate satisfaction and joy. And there's all sorts of things that could compete for our hearts. Uh, family, the idol of family is alive and well in our culture. And I think actually the idol of the nuclear family is alive and well in the church very often. And we just need to bring that down a peg and put God at the center. Marriage or having a partner, romance can be an idol for us. Career, money, comfort, having a comfortable life, experiences, all these things can be idols in our lives. And ultimately, the thing is with idols is they always break our hearts. They always break our hearts. They never satisfy. It's only the true God that can satisfy. And so the first thing that we can do and the first thing that Moses encourages God's people to do is to remember. Do not forget, but remember. Surround yourself with the story of God's love. And then secondly, obedience. Obedience is really important. In verse 3 of chapter 6, uh, Moses says this, Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised. And there's a lot about obedience generally in this passage and in these chapters. And part of that is that when we live under God's guidance and wisdom in our lives, it kind of makes sense and it kind of works. It's like following the maker's handbook for life. Uh, things just kind of, kind of tend to work out well when we follow his, his guidance, we follow his lead. But another part of that is that as we, we look at the whole of Scripture, we see that obedience is really the love language of God. It's how... Um, Jesus is how God loves to receive our, our praise and our worship. I don't know if you've come across the love languages before, um, coined by a guy called Gary Chapman. He's written a book uh, called The Five Love Languages. And um, it's basically all about how we naturally, as, as individuals, give and receive love. And there are five love languages. Does, has anyone heard of this? Just put up your hand. Yeah, some of you. Okay, so there's acts of service. Uh, physical touch, words of affirmation, quality time, and receiving gifts. And if you're like in a, a relationship, then it's quite a good thing to do to, if you want your relationship to flourish, to kind of work out um, how the other person receives love. And um, because I want Lydia to know that I love her, I've learned that her main love language is, uh, or languages are acts of service and words of affirmation. So if there was a choice between giving a back massage and emptying the bins, sadly for me, emptying the bins would win uh, every day. Uh, for me, as a man, uh, as often the case, physical touch is important, but is also words of affirmation. And so we try, and uh, if we're not too kind of sleepy and, and preoccupied, think, how can I better love my wife? How can I better love my husband? Oh, okay, if I put out the bins, then things might go well. I won't finish that sentence. <laughs> My point is that God has a love language, and his love language is uh, obedience, walking in daily obedience, 
to God. Trying to live a life that honors him. Worship is not less than sung worship. Sung worship is really important, but it is more. How we live our day-to-day life. Perhaps as we stay behind at work and we help a colleague who's struggling. That's our worship. That's our worship to God. As we buy a coffee for someone in our favorite coffee shop who's looking kind of down. That's part of our, our worship. As we seek to worship God with the way that we do sex and relationship in a culture that thinks the teachings of Jesus are quite bonkers, that's, that's part of our worship. As we seek to be a non-anxious presence amongst our families, perhaps, as we seek to be a force of encouragement and peace, that's our, our worship. As we seek to honor God in our work, in our parenting, in our finances, just in the kind of really unsexy things of day-to-day life, that is part of our worship. And I just want to encourage us this morning, because as a pastor, I know many of your stories, I know your lives, and I just want to say that God absolutely loves it when we live that day-to-day life for him, when we try and live with that integrity. John 14, verse 15, Jesus says this, if you love me, then what will you do? Interestingly, he says, you'll keep my commands. You'll keep my commands. Uh, Romans 12, verse 1, Paul talks about this as well. Therefore, I urge you. So he's just talked about the incredible grace of God for us. And then he goes on to say, how are you going to live in response to that? I urge you in view of God's mercy, his grace, his love, to do what? To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. This is your proper worship. Or as the message translation says, take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. If we do that, as we do that, we will be great worshippers. And our lives will be like a fragrant offering to him. We will bless the Lord. Obedience is a big part of our worship. And then thirdly, choice. We can choose to love the greatest commandment, Jesus says, is to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if it's a commandment, then it's actually something that we can do. We have an agency. We can make the choice to do it. It wouldn't be fair to say that's the, the greatest thing if we didn't have a, a choice to do it. But the thing is, when we often talk about love, we think about feelings. And in our culture, it's as if we're kind of just having to live at the whim of our feelings. The most important thing in life it can feel like is to, to follow our feelings. But the thing is, feelings are great, but they can be wrong and they can change like the weather. And if we're just living at the, the kind of whim of our feelings, then we're going to be up and down. We're going to be all, all over the place and our relationships are going to be chaotic. C.S. Lewis talks a lot about this in his writings, how we can choose love. Love can be a choice and actually our feelings can then align with the choices that we make. So to give an example, in marriage, we might get married to someone because we fall madly in love with them and we get the heebie-jeebies every time we look at them. But after a while, after a few years, maybe we grow apart, work gets busy, we have kids, we kind of get distracted and you might wake up one day and you might not necessarily have the same feelings that you did before. What do we do in that moment? Well, we can choose to love and so you deliberately spend more time with the other person. You work out their love languages and how to honor them, how they receive love. 
You encourage them. You put your energies into loving them well, to celebrating that person. And what was, what's going to happen as we do that to your feelings? They're going to follow along. Your heart will follow along what you decide. And the same is true with God. We can apply this to times of sung worship, for example. We might come to church and we feel as spiritual as a wooden spoon. We don't feel filled up with wonder, love and praise for God. Maybe we've got all sorts of other things going on in our minds. But I can choose. I can take the decision to, to, to sing. I can sing loudly. I can choose the decision decision to raise my hands. I might not feel like raising my hands, but it's as if, it's if my body's telling my heart to catch up, to wake up, and my feelings follow along. I can worship God with my body. My heart begins to warm up. And by the end of worship, sung worship, often that's the case. And then we get into that beautiful place we were a moment ago, where we don't want it to go away because we're in the presence of God and our hearts are enjoying the love of God when that place of worship. You know, sometimes people say, well, I'm not a very expressive person, so I'm not really going to worship in that way. And I just say it's, it's not really about that. I'm not a particularly expressive person myself, but it's trying to get my heart, trying to cultivate that love for God when often we just don't feel it. About choosing to give God our all, our hearts, in the Hebrew world, uh, that was the center of our will, where we make our choices. In today's culture, it would be our minds. And then our souls, that's our inner life, opening up our inner life to God. And then strength, translated literally, it's with our very muchness. It's like giving it the beans. I'm going to decide to give God everything. Even if I don't feel like it this morning, I'm going to make that decision to press in to God. And it's a beautiful thing because we don't have to live imprisoned by our feelings, but we can shape our feelings to where we want them to be and to the God who truly satisfies. And then fourthly and finally, how can we grow our love for God? We can invite and be filled with the Spirit. Because what the Spirit does is helps us encounter God's love for us. The love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, Paul writes in Romans 5, and it stirs up our love for God. The prophet Ezekiel spoke about this when he talked about the day when the Spirit comes is going to be a day when we get new hearts. I'm going to take your hearts to this, like stone, and the Spirit comes and gives us hearts of flesh, softens our hearts. And because we get hearts of flesh, we can truly live out the law. We can truly live out loving God and loving others. We cannot do it in ourselves. We need the Spirit to do it within us. And when I look at my own life, it's unsurprising that the moments that I'm in that sweet spot of wonder, love, and praise, of love for Jesus, coincides with experiences of the Spirit. So I just encourage us, be people who continually ask for the Spirit again and again and again to soften our hearts, to drink in the Father's love, to awaken our hearts with love for God. It's a little bit like the Spirit is water and our hearts are a sponge and often they're kind of dry and, and hard. And as the Spirit comes, it starts to soften things, but it can take some time. And then the more that the Spirit is poured over, the more water pours over that sponge, what happens, it absorbs it and then it pours it out. And the same is true for us and the love of God. It keeps our hearts soft. 
So as I come into land, love for God is kind of a, a big deal. It's kind of important. And yet it's easy to be lukewarm. We all know that. It's easy to be divided in our loves. We don't love God as we want to. And as humans, we are worshippers just by nature. And we can easily fall into worshipping the wrong things. Just like we see in Israel's story again and again and again, their hearts drift off into false gods and false hopes and false promises. And God is always calling them back. But how can we grow? How can we protect How can we express our love for God? We can remember, we can surround ourselves with the story of God's love for us. We can walk in obedience to him. That love language that God so prizes. We can choose to remember that feelings are not everything. That love is a choice and allow our feelings to catch up. And we continually invite the Holy Spirit to turn our hearts that so often feel like stone into hearts of flesh. And here's what happens when we do that. It's contagious. It's contag- I mentioned at the beginning that I was in a community of students that were passionate about God. And if you're in a community that is passionate about God, boy, that is exciting. One person excited for God? Yeah, okay, that's fine. But a community, a church that's on fire with a passion for God, then we're getting somewhere. Then we can see transformation. Then the world can change and we could see Sidman Forest Hill come alive all because it starts with that passion for him and we've got an opportunity on Tuesday night just to just to express our worship and just to spend time with God to waste time in God's presence and worship it's a beautiful thing so if you can come along on Tuesday I really encourage you to be there it'll be a special evening Uh, but why don't we stand and we're just going to take a moment now to invite God's presence to come and meet us wherever we're at. However cold, hot, somewhere in between, we might be feeling this morning. And uh, I just encourage you to just close your eyes and hold out your hands just as a way of saying, 